Welcome back, Free Rocky Nation. Let's recap the horrors of East Moline, parts 1 through 3. Dad arrived at East Moline Correctional Center March 27, 2019. The prison was in severe disrepair. Cell houses were freezing. The strangely designed chow hall was crowded and cold. Warden Brannon had taken away A-grade commissary privileges from all inmates under her own assumption that she was some kind of reincarnated orcus. Dad had shared the conditions of his confinement with his loved ones. We posted what he told us on social media. Dad's Playboy calendar was stolen and destroyed. Although Dad sought a legal remedy, he was given none. Dad applied for and was quickly denied a job in industry. Through taking more legal action, i.e. writing to the governor, Dad finally did get a job. A lieutenant told Dad to, quote, learn his place in society and to, quote, quit complaining about the good people that work there, end quote. Today is Season 2, Episode 7, The Horrors of East Moline, Part 4. In both seasons of this podcast, I have shared times when my father has had to file a grievance. When my dad files a grievance, he makes sure that his grievance has merit. He quotes case law, legislation, and IDOC directives. Sometimes the case law he quotes is his own. The Danville Correctional Center First Amendment case was a thorn in the Illinois Attorney General's side. Dad was winning the case on the retaliatory acts and punishment imposed to silence him at Danville. Warden Brandon's nefarious policies had Dad unable to supplement his diet from the commissary. He has to supplement because he cannot eat the state food without getting sick. Dad wrote the grievance on Brandon's bogus commissary restrictions. We both wrote letters to Governor Pritzker asking him to look into the illegal commissary restrictions in place. We wrote letters to the IDOC director as well. Governor Pritzker sent a copy of my dad's letter back to Warden Brannon, telling her to address the commissary issues. The jig was up. Her orcus complex was struck down. She had no choice but to raise the limit from $100 per shop to $150 in food. Non-food items could not count against this limit. Dad considered this a Puric victory. Dad continued to document the numerous issues at East Moline Prison. Dad's friends and I were posting about the new housing issues that arose with the change in seasons. Spring rains brought water into the cell houses through the windows. This lack of weatherproofing the windows caused flooding in the living units. Repeated troubles with the water tower pump left the prisoners without toilets showers, or any place to wash. These episodes without potable water lasted three to four days straight and happened every three months, sometimes more often. The insufferable heat in the crowded chow hall raised your cold food to rancid temperatures. Once my father began working in the maintenance department, everything seemed to be going smoothly. Dad had dealt with the calendar incident. The warden had made changes to the commissary policy. He continued to report on the lack of maintenance and the living conditions that violated the law. Dad was communicating to me about these issues via mail, email, and phone calls. All this exposure was protected under the First Amendment. Remember how IA had interrogated my dad less than two months after he arrived at East Moline? 
The following is what they wanted to know. My dad had documented how the Chicago and East St. Louis street gangs were being allowed to run the cell house. These gangs were stealing with impunity from the non-gang members. They were also controlling access to the phones at all hours of the day. They were not letting white prisoners use the phone. That is, unless the white inmate had something with which he could barter for phone time. For example, if a white inmate offered a gang member a roll of toilet paper, then the gang member might have allowed the white inmate to use the phone. You and I know that this is nothing short of extortion of the white prisoner, and the staff should have put a stop to it. Let me explain how the phone system works inside the prison. Inmates only have access to the phones during their day room time. In order to use the phones, inmates have to use prepaid phone accounts. When the inmate gets on the phone, he has to enter the PIN that is connected to his phone account. PIN is a personally identifiable number. Gang members were standing behind the white guys while the white guys were typing in their PINs. Not only would that gang member then use the ill-gotten PIN to make phone calls for free, he would sell the stolen PIN to other inmates to use. The phone system limited calls to 30 minutes. If an inmate wished to make a second call, he had to wait an hour before he could use the phone again. If a prisoner had access to other convicts' pins, he could stay on the phone continuously. Remember those useless locking buttons on the outside of the cell doors? Gang members already in the day room were popping their little gang buddies out bogus. This was how the gangs controlled the phones all day. The East Moline staff just let it happen. One night in August of 2019, Dad tried to call me on the phone. He had paid off a gang member to get his 30-minute call. When he dialed my phone number, an automated message came on the line and said, A call cannot be made. This pen number is currently in use. Someone had stolen my dad's phone pen. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. My dad decided to catch the perpetrator. He requested a phone record printout from the telephone coordinator at East Moline. His phone record showed 13 calls. Calls to Chicago, Macomb, and East St. Louis. Calls that my dad had not made. Armed with this information, my dad made a plan. He did not go to yard or gym at night. Instead, he got on the phone and called these unfamiliar numbers. When someone answered, dad said, Hey, don't hang up. Your boy just went to segregation for fighting. I owe him 200 from gambling. He said to call here and get his info and address to send the money to. Believe it or not, it worked. A lady gave up her connection at East Moline. She even described him, told my dad his real name and inmate number. My dad approached the inmate. He explained the jig was up. Instead of going straight to IA, dad made this guy an offer. He told him that he would not prosecute the thief if the thief could tell dad who sold him the number. The thief gave up the name so fast that my dad couldn't believe it was that easy. The thief even went on to explain how the white boy Latin folks, which are gang members, had sworn that the pin was good, that there would be no problem and no one would find out. Dad now had the thief and his source. He typed a letter to IA, which is Internal Affairs, and listed the numbers called along with the dates and time for IA to investigate. 
he wanted each guy charged with theft. Don't think for a second that I let these pin thefts go. I blew up my social media about these facts. My father and I both confronted IA about the pin thefts and IA's declination of prosecution. I personally called and spoke to IA. IA told me that they, quote, had no proof of these pin thefts and hung up on me. Lies, people. I already knew that Dad had printed off his own phone records to document the unknown numbers listed on his account, as well as the timestamps of when these calls occurred. I knew IA had this information. IA did not know what I knew, so they figured they could lie to me. Listen to the Free Rocky Nation on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, and most anywhere you can get your podcasts. Email us with your questions, comments, or experiences at freerocky at freerockynation.org. Don't forget to visit our blog at freelarryrockyharrisx2.com. Like us on Facebook at Larry Rocky Harris 1959. Buy my dad's books on Amazon. You'll find titles such as Never Ending Nightmare, chronicling his sham trial that brought him the 65-year sentence, 100 Filthy and Raunchy Jailhouse Jokes, 100 More Filthy and Raunchy Jailhouse Jokes, and The Prisoner's Guide to Filing a Winning Grievance.